I want to publicly go on record this morning and tell you that I love my wife. Amen. Eh? Amen. Amen. Okay, this sermon is over. Lori has many qualities about her that are lovable, admirable. I appreciate them. And one of those qualities is that Lori is a list maker. Any list makers in the house? Yes. I'm a like, I dabble in the list making at best. But Lori, it's not uncommon for her to make a list. She doesn't make one every day, but it's a common sight in our house, Lori-Wednesday, and here's her list. And sometimes I kind of make fun of her because she'll get very detailed on her list, like shower. It's like, okay, I'm glad you wrote that. I wouldn't want you to forget to shower, right? Like, that's good. <coughs> but... Lori will make lists sometimes when we're like getting ready to go away somewhere. And those, especially those, I find super, super, super helpful. Because again, I don't do that and I probably should. And then crunch time comes and you're trying to get out the door and you have not got everything packed or anything packed and you're supposed to leave 10 minutes ago and you're trying to think about the things you haven't even thought of yet to pack. I'm talking to somebody. You know it. But Lori, bless her heart, she's made a list. And so... She made one this morning. Yep, I, that doesn't surprise me. Because the beauty of the list is that when you're in the heat of the moment, you're, you're getting ready, you gotta go 10 minutes ago. You don't have to worry, freak out, panic. You don't have to get three quarters of the way there and realize you forgot something. And then your whole visit wherever you're at is frustrating because you don't have that thing that you need that you left at home. You can look at the list. And in the heat of the moment, there's your stuff. And you can call it right to mind, right there. Why am I telling you that? Partly to suck up. Two percent. Mostly I'm telling you this because it's pertinent to what we're going to see in God's word today. We're in John chapter 12, starting at verse 27. And through the course of our time today, we're going to cover all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 50. And we are in, if you will allow me to just tell you about this, we're in a really interesting place in the Gospel of John. We are about to see a shift in how this book reads. The first 12 chapters that we've covered for the last approximately 100 years, it's, it's been a while, but it's been fun. The first 12 chapters kind of read the same way a little bit. It's Jesus in the public eye. He's doing miracles. There's signs and wonders. The crowds are following him. People are amazed. There's a buzz about him. And then all of a sudden you flip over into chapter 13 and it reads totally different. Not in a bad way, in fact, in a very good way. Chapter 13, Jesus moves kind of out of the public eye and into the personal. He's with his disciples. And he has this big, important, deep, super relevant to us conversation with them. And I can't wait to get into that with you guys in the new year. But here we are at the end of chapter 12, and it's sort of like almost a parting message in a way. Jesus is going to leave the public eye for a little while. And he's going to leave us with what looks like a smattering of random things and thoughts. But what he's doing is he's given us a list. And he's saying, hey, don't you forget these things. Because there's going to be a test later. Literally. Life is the test. Life is difficult. Life is intense. The enemy is at work. He's trying to get us off and get us off course and off track and discouraged. And our faith, he's going to try to make a shipwreck of that. 
And the world, like I say, is just a difficult place to be in a lot of the time. And Jesus says, when you're in the heat of the moment like that, and we all are at times, remember these things. You with me so far? So, I don't know whether what we're going to read in a minute, if any of it's going to be new information for you. In the best way possible, I don't care. Because it's helpful. I also, I really believe this morning that each of these things we're going to see is, is for somebody today. I don't know who each one of these is for, but I'm just counting on, banking on the Lord is going to speak to us through this. So what looks like a random smattering of things is actually a super important checklist. You got it? Okay, so what we're going to do first, we're going to read our text in its entirety, and then we'll unpack it. So John 12, 27 through 50, it reads like this, and it'll be on the screen. You can follow along there. Jesus is speaking. He says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his, Jesus' glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as what? Light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. We're gonna give you a checklist this morning. If you're taking notes, the first thing you need to remember, don't you forget this, Jesus says. You are in a battle, but Jesus wins the war. 
That's just straight up. That's, you know what we call that? We call that life. Here, here's the deal. He says in verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Who he's talking about there is Satan. He is called in the Bible the ruler of this world. And here's just like a hilariously fast flyover of the grand story of what's going on in the world. You ready? God has always existed from eternity past. Always. He's the everlasting God. At one point, he created all that we see and all that we know. It was breathed into existence. It was spoken into existence. Our history as we know it. Our universe as we know it. Boom, there it was. And it was good. All that's been made has been made by God, including things called angels. Somebody say angels. There was a particular angel created by God, and angels were made to to minister in God's presence and praise him in his presence. There was one angel in particular who decided, I want to be praised. I want the renown. I want to be honored. I want the fame. I want to sit on the throne. And he rebelled against God. A war at that time broke out, a cosmic war between God and Satan, between good and evil, between light and darkness, and Satan was cast out of God's presence. And now what he's doing is he's coming after us. You see, Satan hates God. God loves us. Satan's trying to get at God by getting to us, trying to take out what God loves. And that is the battle. That really is the issue. See, we can look around, you watch the news, you see whatever. You look around and you think the issue in the world is that people are fighting against each other. That is an issue. We shouldn't do that. But the bigger issue is a spiritual issue. The Bible says that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the powers and the principalities of the dominion of darkness in the heavenly places. So it's a cosmic war. And you and I are caught up in it. We see the effects of it all the time. And just as true as it is that God is at work in the world, we've heard about that already this morning. God's showing up in your guys' lives. That's awesome. Equally true, Satan is at work in the world. And I don't say that to scare you or to freak you out. I'm just trying to remind you there's a battle going on. That's really what's going on behind the scenes. And sin and darkness are wreaking havoc in this world. I don't know if you've seen this or noticed this or picked up on this. Things aren't going real well in the world, right? That was an amen part. Sometimes we look around and we think, man, I have this hope and this faith in Christ, but it looks like the darkness is winning in the world. I want to bring you back to what the truth of the scriptures really is this morning. And that's that, yes, the battle is still going on, but Jesus is going to win the war. Because look what he says. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler be cast out. And when he's talking about now, you have to understand, Jesus is about to go to the cross when he says this. Jesus came to the earth. God himself stepped down off of his throne and he entered into our mess and he came and he lived a perfect sinless life that we have failed to live and he died on a cross in your place and in mine for your sins and mine and the sins of the world. And Jesus on the cross took on the full weight of our sin. And so when he did that and he died for a moment there, it probably looked like the darkness was winning. The domain of darkness, probably laughing to themselves. Yes, look, we got him. We put down the Lord. He's done. He's dead. Jesus died. But, there's always a but. Jesus didn't stay dead, friends, did he? 
he rose from the grave victoriously. And in that act of his resurrection, he showed that he is greater than the king of this world, the ruler of this world. He showed that no matter what the domain of darkness might throw at him, right, our ultimate enemy, death, Jesus is greater than that. He proved that by his resurrection. And here he says, now it's time for judgment. The ruler is cast out. So what he's saying there is that Satan is still kicking. The battle's still going on. But listen here, he's got no weapon. It says in Colossians chapter 2.15, I'm glad you asked where that is. It says that through his resurrection, Jesus has disarmed the rulers. And he has put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That is a good place for a clap. Let's go. Come on, Jesus. Yes. Yes. So, yes, there's bad stuff going on, right? The dragon is still at work, but he ain't got any teeth left, friends, because, because, because the outcome of the war was decided at the cross and at the tomb when Jesus busted up on out of there. And here's, here's the deal. Let's bring this in. Let's bring this home. Your life is still going to be hard. Your life is definitely going to be hard. It says in 1 Peter 4, don't be surprised, friends, when the fiery trial comes upon you to test you. Here's the reason why. And here's the reason why, honestly, things seem to be getting worse and worse in the world all the time. Satan knows that he's on an expiring ticket here. He knows that he's on a ticking clock because he's going to lose, and he knows it. And so he's clawing and scratching and doing everything he can do to bring down what God has established. But he's going to lose. The war is decided. And one day Jesus is going to come back, friends. Don't forget He's going to come back, and once and for all, the ruler of this world will be cast out. And Jesus is building a kingdom, and he's preparing for us a place in which righteousness dwells, in which everything is made new, where there is no more of that stuff. The battle at that point is over, friends. Here's why I'm saying this to you. We're in the battle, and in the heat of the battle, sometimes we get discouraged, and oh, God must not care, and all this long list of things we say. Listen. The Bible says this light and momentary affliction that we are in right now, it pales in comparison, friends, to the glory that's going to be revealed on that day. So don't give up. Don't give in. Keep going. Keep fighting. Don't lose your faith. Keep walking with Jesus even when you're in the battle. Somebody help me today with that. Don't forget. Can't forget. Second thing. Let's move on to second thing. Don't forget, especially when you're in the heat of the moment, the heat of the battle, don't forget to remember what Jesus has done and is doing. This ties right in. These all tie in together. Remember what Jesus has done and is doing. Let's talk about what he's done first. Verse 27, the start of our text. He says, my soul is troubled. Why was his soul troubled? Because he knew that the cross was coming very soon. He was in anguish over that. But he says, Father, I'm not even going to pray. Save me from this hour. Because for that purpose, I have come to this hour. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew why he was here. And he went on to endure it all the same. Because he loves us. Jesus goes to the cross. It says in verse 46, it says, I have come into the world as light. So that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Here's what I want to say to you. If you're not a Christian today, you might think you're a very good person. You're probably a very nice person, but you're in darkness. In and of yourself, you're in darkness. Because he says that you don't remain in darkness. That means you're in it now and he wants to bring you out of it. Just saying. That's right there. He, so in this world that's full of darkness and we're all in the darkness, Jesus has come 
as the light. That's what he did. He's already done this. He came as the light of the world. In a world that is without hope, Jesus came as our hope. In a world that is full of death, Jesus came to be our life. So, he died on the cross, as we said. And he rose victoriously from the grave, as we said. And that is where our hope comes from, right? Our, Our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus. So that's all good. We've talked about that. He died for you. That's what he did. But I don't want you to forget this either. You don't just remember what Jesus has done. Please remember that. He loves you. He died for you. But you also need to remember what he's still doing. Because, I don't know, I, I've been in the church a long time, and it seems, at least in my experience, sometimes we just think about what he's done, and okay, thank you, Jesus. You died, you rose. That was it. See you later. I mean, let's not diminish that at all. But let's not forget he, he rose and he ascended into heaven. He's alive and well still today. He is sitting on a throne. He is ruling and reigning right now. He is building his church right now. He is building a kingdom right now. He is doing just fine, friends, and we're going to see him one day. Is that good news? I thought so. I thought so. So Jesus is still at work in the world is my point. And here's a couple things that he's doing, just high level. Here's a couple things he's doing. Number one, He is reconciling all things to God. Somebody say reconciling. That word means to bring back, to bring back how it's supposed to be, to make right. So of course, our sin separates us from God. We're distant from him. We're not connected to him, but we were supposed to be. That's how we were created and designed. We're supposed to be close to God. So Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, has made it possible for us to be reconciled, to be brought back. You see that? Makes sense? Good. So that's what he's doing right now. It says in verse 32, he says, when I have been lifted up from the earth, he says, I will draw all people. How many people? All people to myself. I've been guilty before of thinking of the cross as just like a very personal thing. And it is. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He cares for you. He has a life for you. Very true. But it's not just for you. It's for everybody. Jesus wants to draw all people to him. He wants to save all people. He wants all people to be reconciled to God. You make the, so so the, the, the cross is not just a personal matter. It's a global matter. We've got to keep a kingdom perspective on that one. And uh, he goes on to say, no, excuse me, that's uh, one thing that he's doing. He's reconciling. The second thing he's doing is this. He's shaping us. See that? This is what he's doing right now. He's reconciling people to God. Like you're a Christian, you've been saved, you were reconciled to God in your life. And Jesus died 2,000 years ago. He's still doing this, but he's also shaping us. Verse 36 that's on your screen there, it says, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may what? Become sons of light. That word become is very important because that's a word that talks about process it's a progress thing. It's something you've got to work at doing and being. You become. It's over time. Here's my point on this. If you're a Christian, Jesus isn't done with you yet. So often we have the mentality of, I got saved. Lord, I was, I was drowning in that sea of sin and you plucked me up and you sat me down on the bank and I'm going to sit right here and do nothing until you come back. That's not what that says. This isn't a bad seat right here. I won't, I won't. If you're a Christian, that salvation that Jesus has granted to you is not an excuse to do nothing. 
It's an excuse to walk with him and press on and progress in him. I was thinking about it this week. Your salvation, in a manner of speaking, this is a metaphor, your salvation is kind of like if you got a pair of shoes that's really too big for your feet. Let me explain. Maybe when you were a kid, you had that. You were growing and your parents got you new shoes, but they were way too big. Those are still your shoes, right? They're yours. Salvation is yours, right? If you've been saved by Jesus Christ, that's your status. It's established. You're good. But it's something that you've got to walk in. And, and you can't lose it. I don't mean that. But like you've got to grow into that over time. As you walk with the Lord, right, those shoes are going to get filled up. You're going to grow into that. That makes sense? Here's the thing with Jesus. It says in Romans 8, 29, that we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So your salvation, you got saved a month ago, a year ago, 10, 20, 50 years ago, that wasn't the end, but that was the beginning. And from that, it's a journey of becoming more like Jesus. That's what your life is supposed to look like. That's the trajectory that God has you on. That is the work the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. You know that? It's to make you more like Jesus. That's really the work of the Spirit. And we'll talk about that in future weeks. My point is this. Jesus is not done with you yet. And sometimes when you get into the heat of the moment... Bring this in now. Bring her back to the heat. When you are in the heat of the moment in your life and stuff is going on, you know what I'm saying? Stuff is just happening around you, to you, through you, and you look around, you say, God, where are you at? Where are you? What is happening? Have you forgotten about me? What's going on? I can't make sense of these things that are happening. Listen to me. That's a common human experience. We don't always know why things are happening or, or how to navigate the terrain that we're on. Here's what we do know. Jesus died for you. He has saved you, Christian, and he's shaping you. He is working on you. That is where you can begin. If you're totally lost and drowning in your circumstances, know it for sure, and don't you forget it. Jesus, you're still with me. You saved me. You love me. You have not let go of my hand, and you're still working on me to make me more like you. I don't know who that's for today. That's for somebody. That's for you. You're welcome on behalf of the Lord. <laughs> Next, number three. You need to remember, don't you forget, friends, who is in authority. Somebody say authority. authority. Don't forget who is in authority and what he is calling you to. So let's start verse 44. Jesus, listen to this language here. Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Verse 45, whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Verse 49 says, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father's authority. Verse 50, what I say, I say as the Father has told me. So we've talked about this a lot this fall. You have to see what Jesus is doing. He is positioning himself as God. He is positioning himself as God, aka the King of Kings, aka the authority in your life. And what he is saying here is, hey, listen to me, because when you listen to me, you're listening to God. Believe in me, because when you believe in me, you're actually believing in God. Trust in me, because when you trust in me, it's God that you're trusting in. Don't reject me, because when you reject me, it's God that you're rejecting. We already read about the judgment there. See it there? The judgment is coming, and Jesus says, don't, don't neglect that. Don't pretend like it isn't. It's coming for you all, so get on the right side of it. That's in me, Jesus says. He is positioning himself as God. And here's the thing. 
I know I'm talking to all of you. In this life, we like to position ourselves as the authority. I'm going to do what I want, when I want it, when I feel like doing it. I don't care what anyone says. It's my truth. These are my feelings, my opinions. We really push ourselves up to the top of the pile, don't we? And what we do is we try to sit in the seat that rightfully belongs to Jesus, which is on top. We say, I'm the authority. I'm driving the boat. And you know what that is? I love you. So I don't say this to insult you. That is foolishness. It is absolute foolishness. What we would do well to do rather than puff ourselves up with pride is actually to humble ourselves under his authority. That's what he's calling us to do because he is in authority. And here's the thing. Whether you realize it or not, Jesus is still an authority over you. This is just a freebie. Like, I, I don't care if you think you're self-made, you're autonomous, you're doing great on your own, you're still gonna answer to him one day. You might as well bow your knee to him now because it's gonna happen one day anyway. And when we humble ourselves under the authority of Jesus, that's where the blessing comes in. So he's the one in authority. And you say, okay, what does he want me to do? What is he calling me to do? It's to walk in the light. Just summing that up in one phrase. It's to walk in the light. That's what it says in verse 35. I'll read that for you here. It says, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. In other words, it's foolish. To, to walk... That simply is a biblical word that means, well, it's an English word that we all say too, but when you see walk in the Bible, it's talking about the way that you live, the things that you do, the way that you spend your time, the thoughts in your mind, the meditations on your heart, the way your life is, that's your, that's your walk. And he says to walk in the light. Who's the light of the world? Jesus. So that's clearly saying you need to walk with me. And, and here's the thing. I've been this Christian not like, oh, you as a Christian, but not me. I've been here. Sometimes we as Christians live so worldly, so carnally, not any different than anyone that doesn't even know Jesus lives. And, and we, we create in our minds this illusion of, hey, I'm under grace, so I can just keep doing whatever I want. It sounds dumb to say it, but that's how we act sometimes. Jesus loves me anyway. What does it matter what I do? We, we come up with this attitude of, eh, Eh, about sin, eh, about God, eh, about righteousness. I'm just doing my own thing. And again, that is foolishness. That's not walking in the light. Jesus would say of you and of us when we have that attitude, he says, you're walking in darkness when you live like that. When you put yourself on the top of the heap and just lean on your own understanding, you're walking in darkness and you don't actually know where you're going. You think you're wise, but you're acting foolishly. This is ministering to somebody. I can sense it in the room. My point is this, don't forget this. We, we need to, in the church, in the body of Christ, we need to develop more and more and more and more ongoing this attitude where we say yes to Jesus, where we say yes to just straight up faithfulness to Jesus, yes to righteousness in Jesus, yes to obedience to Jesus. There's a word we don't always like to hear, right? But obedience is there. It's, we need to say yes to just pouring into that relationship with him. We need to say yes to sometimes taking the hard road if it's God's will for you, taking the easy road. We need to say yes to righteousness. 
And that's not just a, a lackadaisical, oh, sure. No, it's pouring it out. Jesus, I acknowledge you are the authority in my life, and I want to humble myself under that and walk in your light. I want us to value as a church humility before God. I want to value as a church submission before God and obedience to God and respect for God because that's what we're being called to. I don't know who that's for. Probably all of us, actually. That's probably for all of us. Let's keep it rolling. I got three more for you. The fourth thing, you got to remember, don't you forget. Remember, this one's a bit sobering, but let me explain this one. There is a word of encouragement in here. Remember that some will not believe. I'm going to read this section of scripture. You see it on your screen there. I'm going to read it. It'll make more sense that way. Though Jesus had done so many signs before the people, they still did not believe in him so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It says they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes, hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Verse 41 is a big one for me. It says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his, Jesus, glory and spoke of him. The prophet Isaiah he lived about 700 years before Jesus was born. And if you read in his book, in uh, chapter 6, he is ushered into the throne room of God, the very presence of God in heaven. And worship is happening. It's this amazing, incredible vision. And he sees the glory of the Lord all around him. And he goes and he tells people what he saw, and they go, eh, whatever. It's like he literally saw into the throne room, and eh, whatever. I have perhaps naively, wrongly in my life before, I've kind of had this thought of, hey, if I'm a Christian and I actually get my act together and start witnessing to people and I do really well, have just nailed the presentation of the gospel, people, everyone that hears it is going to fall in line before me and they're going to want to know the Lord and it's going to be awesome. Hey, the Lord can do that, by the way. I'm not saying he can't. But I was reminded this week that it's a broad road that leads to destruction. It's a narrow path that leads to life. Stay with me on this one. We preach the narrow path. And when we do that, we shouldn't be surprised when some don't receive what we have to say. Now, let me say this too. This is, this is incredibly relevant. I don't think our biggest problem as the capital C church, the, the Canadian church, the New Brunswick, the St. John church, whatever, I don't think our biggest problem is that we're sharing and we're trying really, really hard and people aren't listening. I think we just got to step off and step out in faith and actually share with people. I think that's a bigger issue than, I don't know, we're all trying really hard and it's not going anywhere. Let's step out in faith and see what God does. Who can you share the gospel with? Who can you tell about Jesus this week? I'm not playing around. I'm not speaking churchies. You know people. We all know people. Let's not play around. We're not pretending. We all know people that don't know Jesus and their ticket right now is leading them to hell because they don't know Jesus. And you have the good news about Jesus. I'm talking to you, friends. I'm talking to this guy right here too. You have the message. Faith comes through hearing, hearing the word of Christ, and you have it to share. People need to hear it. God, oh, help us, God. Help us get onto that. Seriously. More than ever, amen to that. Here's, I guess, my point. I, I want us to step out and share. We, we need to do that. And I honestly believe this is something the Lord is doing in us, in our church. He is preparing us for a, a season of greater 
impact in that area. I'm just telling you, more to come on that later. I'm saying this as a precursor, a foreshadowing. I don't want you to get up the nerve and go share with someone, and if they brush you off or reject you, I don't want you to get discouraged and never do it again. Seriously. Praise the Lord if everyone who hears you sharing comes to faith. That can happen. It's God we're talking about. But don't be discouraged if they don't. Because I know, I, I, I'm not... I know some of you are sharing with people in your life that you know, and you're praying for them, and they have not yet taken that step of faith and come to Christ. Uh, I don't want you, here's the encouragement in here. I don't want you to bear a weight of guilt that you shouldn't bear. Oh God, what did I say wrong? I didn't do it right. Uh, Did I miss something? Don't worry about doing it perfectly. Worry about being faithful and sharing it, and God will take care of the rest for sure. God can do way more with you stepping out and butchering the gospel than he can with you not saying the gospel. That makes sense? Seriously. Like, it's God. Okay, he can, like, you got me, you got me. You, you got, it's his word, exactly. Here's the point. I, don't, I, I want us as a church to have a clear conscience all across the board on this matter. I don't want you to look back later in your life and go, why in the blazes did I not share? God, it was clear. Why did I not have a heart for the lost? Why, did I, why was I so fearful that I just kept it to myself? I don't want you to feel guilty about that. I want us to do it. And on the flip side, I don't want you to bear guilt. Well, well I shared and that person didn't come to faith. It's my fault. Because ultimately, people still do have a choice. And I'll say this too to your encouragement. We're responsible to share the message. You are not responsible to save somebody though. You and I are utterly unqualified to save somebody. I don't care what's on your resume up in here. That ain't it. That's God's job. But he calls us to share the message first, to step out in faith first, and then see him work. I, want, I, I don't want you to think, oh, I got to try really hard to save that person. No, you, you can't even really change somebody. If you've been married for a while, you'll amen to this. You can't even really change somebody in a way that is of eternal, significant, lasting consequence, okay? We need to let the Lord do his work, but we need to do our job as well. That's what I'm saying. You with me? You feel me there? Okay. All right. Okay. We'll move on. We'll move on. Number five. I got two more. Don't forget, friends. You need to remember who your treasure is. Somebody say treasure. I'm going to read these verses, 42 and 43. It says this. Nevertheless, many of the authorities believed in him. Many people did believe in Jesus, right? When he says this right here. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they, this is, this is tragic, they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So what's happening there is they're valuing something above Jesus, It's not that they don't value Jesus. It says they believed in him. That's good. That's positive. That's some kind of a positive identification with with the gospel there. But when you uphold something above Jesus and you put something in that number one place in your life above Jesus, what you're going to do is you're going to make sacrifices for that thing and it's going to affect the Jesus part of it. You know what I'm saying? That's how it works all the time. For instance, that's why the Bible says coincidentally, you can't serve God and money because you're going to love one and despise the other. Usually our problem is not, I love God so much and I hate my money. That's just saying, right? It's not usually where we go with that one. So here, these authorities believed, but they would not confess. They would not go public. They would not bring it home because they were fearful of what would happen to them. 
They said, if I confess Jesus, it's going to cost me. It's going to cost me my status. These are people that had cushy jobs, right? They were comfortable in life. They loved the status they had. People respected them. And they said, if I, if I really put Jesus first, I'm going to be cost. It's going to cost me all of that. And they wouldn't do it. It's simply a matter of what your priorities are and what your treasure is. Jesus was here. They had something here. It doesn't even matter what that thing is, by the way. The principle is this. When you value something more than Jesus, it's going to cost you, not in a good way, not in a godly way. Because when we put stuff above Jesus, we lose out. For example, it says in the scriptures, Psalm 16, 11, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. When you really walk with Jesus and value him and put him first in your life, you'll have the fullness of joy in your life. But if you put something above him, that's going to diminish your experience of the joy of the Lord. Just clearly there. It says that he's the God of peace. So when we get close to Jesus, we know what it is to have peace perfect peace, peace that passes understanding. But when you put something above Jesus, your peace diminishes, your hope diminishes, right? It makes perfect sense. I've seen this all the time in the world of, for instance, I'll pick on this one thing, dating. Christians that date non-Christians. I'm not judging you, I'm just saying, in my experience, this is how it always goes, or at least 99% of the time. Yeah, I'm a Christian, oh, but I really like this person. I, I want to date them. I want to go out with them. Yeah, I know they're not a Christian and don't be unequally yoked and yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I'm the exception to that because I'm really going to witness to them. Oh, I think I'm talking to somebody. I'm going to witness to them. We're going to do the flirt to convert thing. Don't worry. Don't worry. We're going to bring them to the faith. It's going to be great. We're going to have 19 kids. It's going to be awesome. Here's what happens. Over time, you put yourself in a position so easily where that person starts to come before Jesus because they don't have that same conviction as you, that same love for Jesus you do, all of a sudden it starts to do this. And when that happens, all of a sudden, this is what I've seen time and time and time again. It's not there, I won my, my significant other to the faith. It's over time I started making sacrifices for them and it negatively affected the Jesus in my life. And I've seen people walk away from their faith who started out on fire from the Lord and it was because of that relationship. You guys know what I'm talking about. You, you feel me in here. So point is this in the heat of the moment in your life when push is coming to shove you need to remember who your treasure is and we've talked about this this fall jesus christ is the greatest treasure in this world there is nothing better no one better than jesus and you need to remind yourself of that when you're tempted to go after i need more money i need more experience i need more pleasure i need more i need more this and that i need a high over here i need this and that you need to value jesus you need to decide in that moment and declare in that moment jesus you're better jesus you're greater jesus i want you i don't know who that's for today that's for somebody in the house today last one is this don't forget friends remember who you're working for Remember what this whole deal is about. I want to read the verses that are on your screen there, verses 28 to 30, and then I'm going to wrap up. Jesus says, Father, this is his heart. He's about to go to the cross. He's in anguish. He's distressed. And he says, yet, Father, glorify your name. A voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. In other words, everything that Jesus has done to this point and, and what Jesus is going to do in the future, it's glorifying to the Father. The 
crowd that stood there heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice came for your sake, not mine. You want to know why? Because it's to show us that that's the heart that we ought to have as well. In your life and in mine, Jesus, would you be glorified? In all things, Jesus, it's not about me. It's not me. It's about you. Let me decrease. I want you to increase in my life. That's what your life is all about, friends. You were made by God and for God, for his glory. That's what it's all about. And so, I'll say this, actually. The world, if you actually do this, if you actually make it your business to say, Jesus, no matter what, I'm living for you. And I'm not in this for my own fame and my own glory. I want to be used as a vessel for your glory. That'll put you at odds with the world. People are going to look at you and they're going to say, what is your problem? What is your deal? Move along now. Because they're going to see Christ in you, Christ working in you, Christ being reflected by you. It's not going to make sense to them. I, I, I love, I love that verse 29 is in there. The crowd that stood there, the voice thunders from heaven. They say, did it just thunder? They don't even get what's happening. They don't even get it. And it all comes around that glory thing. People aren't going to understand it. But hey, listen to me. It's worth it. If you make Jesus your business in your life, it's worth it. Because that's literally what your life is all about. And again, I, you don't need me to say this to you. In the heat of the moment, push comes to shove. It boils right down to it. A lot of the time we're living for ourselves. We, we just default to our own hearts, our own selves. Sometimes we can be pretty selfish and self-centered. What we're really being called to is Christ-centeredness. It's not about me. It's about you, Lord. We have been called to more. Here's what I'll say as we wrap up. Listen, we have been called. I read this verse last week, 1 Peter 2, 9. We've been called to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what your life is about. Testifying about him, bearing witness to him, being, uh, being a light for him, and, and, and enjoying him, and experiencing him, and exalting in him. Friends, it is all about Jesus.